Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 29 of the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast. I'm uh I'm returning from injured reserve. Um I've uh I've been on the IR for probably a, uh, close to a week now. Cold came in in the summer. Worst time to get sick in my opinion, but uh enough about me. You're um your your fearless co-host here. Um well, I guess not fearless if I was on IR, but uh How's my other co-host doing here? How's Aiden Sarah? We both kind of had crappy weeks, dude. <laughs> like it's just I've had like a three-day headache. It's not it's been a it's been a lot of uh been a lot of painkillers to get me through days. And and I was really hoping that a good night's sleep was gonna fix that. We're recording early Monday morning. You're probably listening to this on Tuesday. Um yeah, so hopefully this passes. But you know, you know what they say. It's okay to not be okay, um, but you know, <laughs> hopefully we both rally. And next week's podcast is with a little bit more life than this. I have to say, I, I I'd like to get your opinion on this. I think the summer is the worst time of the year to be sick because I like to think that when it's cold out, I don't even mind being sick at all. When it's cold out, you get a little cozy, you let the cool breeze in. It's it's whatever. You go outside to. Um, I mean, this happens every single time I get sick. I, I do a grocery store run and it's just the most odd, confusing grocery store run ever. It's just uh, a, a very peculiar combination of things going into my cart. Um, I think I got um, raspberry lemonade Greek yogurt. I got Belgian waffles. I got dumplings. I got... Um, <laughs> Um, I got pizza bagels and I got, um, uh, cucumbers and I got bananas. That was, that was my, I I have a cold grocery shop. It had no rhyme or reason, no method to this madness. Luckily when I got home, there was like whipped cream and syrup and, and I just put a bunch of frozen fruit on there and the, and the, the Belgian waffles turned out awesome. So I, I had Belgian waffles covered in fruit for dinner uh like two of the four nights that i was feeling pretty sick but yeah it was uh that's that's a staple in there for me but that i just have to say that staples so much better when it's winter i like being cold when i'm sick it just it just feels more right when you're sick and you're warm ugh, it's just not it's not it it's not there you said nothing incorrect and i would 100 percent agree with you if my job wasn't what it was because trying to call play by play for a game when you're sick is just a nightmare. It's not good for you. It's not good for anybody listening. It's just, it's kind of a train wreck. There was one time this year where I just showed up to the rink in the morning and I didn't have a voice and I tried to rally, but you can hear it. Like it's, it is not very good. Um, Viewers are slowly dwindling as, as you're getting halfway through the game. Well, at least the ones on like the audio, like the radio stream for sure. Right? But uh-huh. yeah, so I agree with you. I don't like being sick in the summer, especially because there's always more to do. Right. Especially where we live. It rains a lot. <laughs> um, It snows a lot in Red Deer. So uh, in the summer, the outdoors aspect, it's the it sucks to be sick and inside. But yeah, like I can't <laughs> I can't not say that me working a game is the worst time to be sick because it's it is <laughs> well i uh, i know we have some hockey news to get it into but i kind of want to have a little bit of fun off the top for this one someone put a very uh a very fun question into the spotify questions that we have and uh we've both done a little bit of prep for this i just finished mine on the fly here um Aiden, you want to run us through this one question before we get into hockey news here yeah, so this yes. <laughs> so we have we have a pretty solid amount of questions to go through. Um so we're going to do this one and then we're going to get to news and then we're going to finish the rest of the questions. So if you asked one that isn't this, we're going to get to it. Um but this is the question. Aliens come down to earth invading. Their condition is they will leave if you can beat them in a 7 game playoff series. So we have to make our best roster, four forward lines, three defense lines, and lines and two goalies is the criteria. They must have played from 2000 onward. So current players and a couple retired players. Um, yeah, we both made this. And 
we were talking kind of before we started, there's definitely going to be the factor of like James is not insignificantly older than me for this question when it comes to started watching hockey earlier. My, I believe the first Stanley Cup final I remember watching, I would have been six or seven years old in 2009. <laughs> um, so it was the Pittsburgh Detroit second one. I don't remember much before that. So you can kind of see that flavor to my team. <laughs> um, but let's uh, let's go, James. You want to kick it off? I would love to. And I have to say, like, there's guys that I definitely left off of here that are, like, lock hall of famers, game seven, do or die, dream scenario players. But I went with my heart and my gut on this one. Um, so first things first, I think your first line, you want to come out fast and you want to come out hard. And so I made the power line of McKinnon, Crosby, McDavid being the first line. And, um, McKinnon's not a left winger and you're going to have, you're going to see this a bunch. Like there are centers on the wing. It's going to happen because you know what? The fact of the matter is most of the best players of all time are centers. It's just, it's just a fact. They are the guy. And um, I'm hoping that having too many of these guys doesn't cause an issue. Um, second line, I went Ovechkin, Sergei Fedorov, and then Joe Sackick on right wing. And you see, like, Aiden just made a face there. But that's because um, I saw the tail end of prime Sergei Fedorov. The only Sergei Fedorov Aiden saw was on the Blue Jackets and the Capitals. And that's not it. But... Prime Sergei Fedorov is probably one of the most exciting players you ever would have seen. It's just a fact. Um, third line, I went Paul Correa, Peter Forsberg, Tamu Solani. And again, for Aiden, none of those guys were, I mean, Solani was moving the needle at the end of his career. Um, Aiden probably only saw Forsberg's comeback with Colorado that lasted all of like nine or 10 games. And uh, um, this is the one, my fourth line left wing, this is really going to make Aiden make a face. Yuri Lettinen. One of the only wingers to ever win a Selkie. And yeah, like one of the best defensive forwards probably of all time. And he's playing with Iserman and Bergeron on that line. And then my 13th forward is Pavel Datsuk. Um, there are so many forwards I left off of there. But then my first D pair, Scott Niedermeyer and Eric Carlson. My second D pair is uh Chris Pronger and Nicholas Lidstrom. I know neither of those are right D, but it's just gotta happen. And then my third D pair, I went Dowdy and Duncan Keith. And then for my seventh D, I went Shea Weber because uh, that guy's a warrior. And if aliens are invading and we're about to die, uh, if this game goes south, we're going to need him out there to start spearing aliens in the gut. Um, <laughs> that's We need that. And then I put the Dominator, Dominic Hasek, his starting goalie, and then Patrick Waugh, his backup goalie. Because the criteria was I must have played after the year 2000. Well, Patrick Waugh won a cup in 2001 and was still dominant in 02 and 03. So, um, yeah, that's that, that that's the team I put out. And I like to think that I probably only have a seven-player overlap with Aiden of that whole roster. That's not uh, – I don't think that's a bad guess. Um, yeah, no, that uh, that's a lot of guys I don't have. Um James is like uh, James's thing where it's like, oh, they have to have played after 2000. I did kind of factor in what did they do after 2000 into that question. So, for instance, I don't have Iserman. I do have Sakic because of that, because Sakic still was like a hundred point player. But didn't you not have Sakic until right before the episode? I didn't have a lot of these. Dude, this has changed a lot for me. <laughs> the Right now, I have 13 forwards, 7 defensemen, 2 goalies. 
So that's a total of 22 players. I probably had about 35 players' names written down in the last two hours that have just been shuffling around because <laughs> I haven't really been able to decide. But okay, I'll go. First line, Alexander Ovechkin with Sidney Crosby and Yarmir Yager. Then second line, I have Patrice Bergeron with Connor McDavid and Patrick Kane. Third line is Jerome McGinley with Pavel Datsuk and Evgeny Malkin. And then the fourth line is Daniel Sedin with Henrik Sedin and Joe Sakic. And I have Timu Solani as my 13th forward. Solani, Iginla, Kovalchuk, and Taves were four guys that rotated between the one spot in the 12 and the 13th forward. <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat your first line? Uh, Ovechkin with Crosby and Yager. Okay, yeah. I don't know why I didn't have Yager, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> And then my defense, I did have Nicholas Lidstrom. I did catch the the prime of his uh his his twilight years. <laughs> he was still a very good defenseman. Uh, I have him with Kale McCarr on the first pairing. I then have Victor Hedman with Eric Carlson, and Shea Weber with Drew Doughty, and Duncan Keith is my seventh defenseman. So we have an intro. I think we have the same bottom three in varied order. Um. And then Carey Price and Martin Brodeur are my two goalies. Carey Price never won a cup. You're leaving it in, in his hands to save us from the aliens? Well, and again, just what I watched, the most dominant team I think I ever watched, especially defensively, was Canada's entry at the 2014 Olympics, which is why you see Weber, Doughty, and Price prominently stapled to that back end in, in net because that team conceded three goals i think in that tournament one of the most to latvia and one of the most to norway <laughs> they shut out the states in the semifinals sweden in the gold medal game they didn't let in more than one goal in a game so i'm thinking if anybody's gonna stop uh <laughs> stop an onslaught it's them yeah that's why i put weber in there because i i knew he was gonna be able to spear aliens to the gut if necessary so it, it makes sense and and Doughty too, and then then Pronger, he's gonna put them in a chokehold. So Yuri Lettinen is the best one. You <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. He's uh, yeah. I mean, he's got the Selkies to prove that he was the defensive player. I had to have one pure role player on the team, and I thought yeah. for fourth line yeah. center, this is ideal. Yeah, I had Taves, Bergeron, and Datsuk originally, and then I, I did end up dropping Taves, but I kept Bergeron and Datsuk. Not that they are in any way not offensive drivers, but they're also both guys that have, and, you know, <laughs> Patrice Bergeron could have the Selkie Award renamed after him. <laughs> Having seen Bergeron play on right wing, that was like the one that justified all of my centers being on the wing. I was like, well, at least this one makes sense. <laughs> Well, we've seen it, right? Like we talked, I just referenced the 2014 Olympic team. There was a lot of guys that were playing center for their NHL teams that were playing the wing on that team, right? Like there's, there's, uh, that has to happen when you're making compilation teams, all-star teams, Olympic teams, whatever. Well, that was fun. That was a nice little exercise. Shall we get into some hockey news here? Yeah, and, you know, like, it's been a while, but there's still not a whole lot of stuff that's happened. Like, Patrick Kane is still sitting on the market. Boston still doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> Patrice Bergeron has yet to officially retire, and they have yet to, you know, make that trade for Mark Shifley or Elias Lindholm or, or somebody similar. Um, but we did get one answer, and the answer was to the question, where will Alex DeBrinket play next year? And it's the Detroit Red Wings. DeBrinket, who scored 27 goals and 66 points with the Sens last year. From Ottawa to Detroit in exchange for Dominic Kubalik, Donovan Sobrango, a first and a fourth. There is a condition on the first. It's just about what pick it ends up being because Detroit has, I think, two picks in 2024 and then one in 2025. So it's just about where it finishes and which pick they choose to give Ottawa. Um, you and I had a little bit of a differentiating opinion on this when we talked about it. My take is, listen, Ottawa's hands were about as tied as they could be. 
much like the Matthew Kachuk situation last summer. You had a guy that wasn't going to play for you and a guy that because he was an RFA, yeah, he might not have a no trade clause, but he also is has a good measure of control because <laughs> you're not going to trade him to a team that he says he's not going to sign for. So Ottawa, I thought kind of made the best out of a bad situation, especially when you consider they're trying to compete. They want to make the playoffs and Dominic Kubalik is a really good middle six guy to do to do that. He at one point scored 30 goals with the Chicago Blackhawks last year. Solid season, 20 goals, 45 points with Detroit. He's a guy that can fill it on your second power play unit. If he plays with the right players, he could fill the net. Donovan Soprango is, yeah, maybe a C-plus prospect, but he could still be something. And a first and a fourth. These uh, these next three drafts, get as many first-rounders as you can. You want those lottery tickets for Celebrini and then Misa and then McKenna because you got three studs at the top. So I don't hate just loading up on loading up on first-rounders just to cross your fingers with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate it. Um, it's it's just one of those things where, like, yeah, Ottawa was kind of handcuffed, and you want to see a bigger return for a player that has value. But this is what it is in, in the end, right? I, I'm glad he went somewhere, and somewhere he seemingly wanted to go. Um, the one thing I don't like about the fallout from his contract being signed, because it was in mid-7s for four years. What was it, 7.6? 7.5? I think it was 7.8. Seven eight, yeah, something like that, and um, then people start saying, "Oh, wow! Well, if he signed for that, that's what Nylander's worth." No, Nylander uh, was flirting with a hundred points this year. Debrinket's never done that, so, um, yeah, nice try. I don't want to hear that argument ever again. I love Alex Debrinket, but Nylander's coming off a career year. That's, uh, that's worth money. So. Yeah, no, for me, William Nylander's more valuable than Alex Dabrinkit. And, and you know, <laughs> if you look at purely the statistics, I can kind of see why you're maybe coming to that conclusion. Dabrinkit had a couple 40-goal seasons. Nylander just had his first 40-goal season, uh, 87 points. Nylander, had, that's more than any uh, point total Dabrinkit's had. But the difference to me, really, between these two players is Alex Dabrinkit and Alex Dabrinkit's success is contingent on the situation he's in contingent on the line he plays on it's contingent on how good the team is um William Nylander to me can be a line driver he can be the reason that your second line dominates and scores he can be the playmaker he can be the finisher he can be anything whereas Alex Dabrinkit if you don't have somebody giving him the puck in the right spot he's not producing and that line is not succeeding so you're right um and you brought him up so let's go straight to it because um one of the questions (laughs) So yeah, we already answered one of the submitted questions. We're about to answer the second one here as we're going. Uh, it's what happens with William Nylander. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like this is this is a really interesting situation, James, because what the reports have basically said here about William Nylander is, I'm not going to take a discount if nobody else took a discount. And you look at that Toronto Maple Leafs team, and how many guys can you say took a discount? <laughs> Austin Matthews' contract is reportedly going to make him the highest paid player in the league. Uh, John Tavares is at 11. Mitch Marner's at 10-9. Morgan Riley is at 7-5. Like, there isn't guys on this team that, you know, you can point to and say, oh, yeah, no, that that was a discounted contract for him. You could argue maybe Morgan Riley took a slight discount. Slight. Yes, yes but is it enough for Nylander to say, fine, I'll sign for eight, right? Because at the end of the day, I love Marner. If Marner's a 10-9, Nylander's probably a 9-5, right? 9-5-10 for William Nylander if Mitch Marner's an 11. He's not He's not Marner, but he's not that far off, especially with the season he just had. Like, I, yeah. um, I don't know what the plan is here because Toronto right now is right up against the cap and that's with, the LTIR Jake Muzzin $5.6 million sitting there. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. They've also got Elias Samsonov as an RFA. I know they would want to bring him back. He was probably the best of the three goalies that they played this year. Joseph wall might be ready to be the backup. Um, 
But if you're going Matt Murray, Joseph Wall, James, I'm not confident in that. <laughs> I, I don't think I should be confident in that. Yeah, definitely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. I think um, for for Toronto, it's it's a minefield they're navigating. And as you said, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, I was asked by one of my friends, like, like seriously, you you don't think you know what's going to happen? What if what if on your pod that topic comes up? Would you not say your opinion? Yeah, my opinion is I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm genuinely curious to see what the hell happens with this team. What's going to happen with these forwards. I I don't see a world where they don't try and re-sign all of them. As their time comes up. Whether it's whether it's Nylander and Matthews um, having the one year left right now. Whether it's next summer with Marner. Um, I, I just I don't see a world where they don't try to re-sign every single one of them. So we'll move on to another free agent here. Uh, Ke'Andre Miller signs a two-year contract paying him $3.8 million annually. James, to me, honestly, I thought this guy should, like, at this point in his career, 23 years old, with the three seasons he's just put together, I not only thought he deserved, but I expected eight by eight. I don't know if that's in the range of what you were thinking for him. Um, now the Rangers probably couldn't afford much more than this. I think they have about $2 million in cap space left, but they still have Alexi Lafreniere as an RFA and you know, they're going to want to sign him. Um, but what a discount, like this is crazy to me that this is what he signed for because James K. Andre Miller 79 games last year, 43 points while being a really, really good two-way defenseman. He was very good in his own zone. He was a very good play killer. He was good when the other team was rushing in. He was good at breaking the puck out. Like, And listen, this is a guy to me that are we <laughs> are uh, this proves to me that I, I don't know if we're ever going to see another offer sheet in the NHL like ever again because <laughs> like <laughs> In what world would 31 other teams not be chomping at the bits to get Ke'Andre Miller for significantly more money than this? And, you know, there's always the factor of, yeah, maybe there's a <laughs> maybe there's a promise, right? Maybe there's a, a reassurance to Miller's camp that the max term deal is coming after this one expires. But, James, like, that's the lasting impression I've left with is offer sheets are done. If it didn't happen here, it's not going to happen. I, I partly agree with you, partly don't because um, yes, Keandre Miller is all of those things. Yes. He should have been offer sheeted. No, I don't think offer sheets are done. I think they will continue being a full on rarity, like one every few years. Um, it's really hard this year with this cap. Like most teams that want to keep making moves are just kind of stuck. And yeah, they can get creative, but a lot of those teams that were willing to take on salary and just just let it happen like that, they're either not willing or there's a higher price in terms of assets you have to pay. Uh just to take on uh a, a, just some massive whopper of a contract. It's not as easy to do anymore. Um, in previous years, it would be like, okay, Arizona is willing to take these three stupid contracts this summer. And then we'll tap out. But uh, they don't really seem to want to do that as much anymore. So that leaves who else? You know, like like you go back, um, Toronto paid a first round pick for Carolina to take Patrick Marlowe and buy him out. It's like there's a price to pay for these things. And a lot of the time moving these things out and paying that price is the only way you're going to be able to go have the salary to pay a K. Andre Miller. So and also it's it's a it's a fact that next summer's free agent class is absolutely stacked and teams want some cap space for next summer. That's a thing. So. Yeah, as of right now, William Nylander is on that list. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, 
it'll be interesting to see what Lafreniere signs for if he stays with the Rangers. There's been rumors swirling around him for a long time. Um, I again, for me personally, I've I've said this about him. I think everybody who's saying he's a bust, like let's 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 pump the brakes. Three seasons, he's improved in every season, both his play on the ice and statistically. Um, and the Rangers have had a, a coaching change in the middle of his in the middle of his ELC. Like I I I think one of these seasons he's gonna it'll be <laughs> he'll make a jump it'll be something like 70 points and then he'll grow i i, I do still think the sky's the limit for this kid um the 70 way- points that's a high mark i you haven't had to take this hot in a while but all right I, i'd love to hear it i keep uh <laughs> i do usually do multiple hockey pools a year one of them i have is just you draft a team and you sit on it and the team gets you points, and then at the end of the year, you win the money. Um, and then there's a ho- the hockey pool I'll do where it's it's you know it's the it's the pure fantasy free agent pickups whatever. And I the last two seasons have taken him there because I'm waiting for it. I'm gonna keep gonna keep banking on him until it happens. Where like it it feels for me like it's one of these years it's gonna happen, and I'm just gonna keep holding on to the lottery ticket until I get to cash it in. Like I I I love this guy out of junior. Every time I watch him play, you can see the talent. You can see the ability. You can see the potential with every pass he makes, with every stride he takes, and and it's it's coming. Okay, you brought up fantasy. I have to bring up the blockbuster that I made in my keeper pool. I I traded um, William Nylander uh, and Robert Thomas for... The third overall pick, which will be Adam Fantilli and Johnny Goodrow and Brock Nelson. And what's that? I don't hate it. No, I, no. I, I really like the idea of having Fantilli and Goudreau because those yeah. guys are going to feed off each other too. Yeah. That's that's the game plan. We'll see how well it works. Um yeah, it was uh there was a couple days of discussion with my buddy Joe and uh yeah, we we got there. I mean, we have 12 keepers each and in the past 4 years I've traded away Jason Robertson, Kirill Kaprizov, Brady Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk. Um it's it's all like I was the top dog for a bit. Yeah, I was either that or fighting for it. I won two I won twice in the first three years of the pool. And you know what? Since then it's been tough. I placed fourth this year. That was my lowest finish. It's not, it's not, it's not pretty. It stinks down here. But um, yeah, I don't know. But uh this is this is part of my retool. So I like it. And hey, you're retooling, you're getting the 18-year-old kid that who knows what he's gonna be. I think he's I think a few years and he's he's flirting with point per game for sure if not earlier than that like and if I not certainly more- hope so otherwise this was just a waste but <laughs> well and man Fantilli, Lion A and Goudreau is disgusting that is the biggest putting that kid in the position to succeed as as it could be <laughs> so another signing we're going to quickly move on to I kind of want to speed run these last six signings we can do like quick minute on each of them. Um, Matias Michelli broke out last year with the Arizona Coyotes, 11 goals, 49 points in 64 games on a Coyotes team. Like Clayton Keller had a really good year. Nick Schmaltz had another Nick Schmaltz season. Like this Arizona team, honestly, like more guys had solid seasons than you'd expect with how like bad they were. Lawson Krause had 24 goals. Barrett Hayton had 43 points in what looked like the first flash of the Barrett Hayton we kind of thought he might be coming out of both the draft and the world juniors he had. Um, and, and Michelli kind of led that, you know, the, the unexpected gems. He gets an extension two years and James, I think this is good for the coyotes, right? Like you, you get a guy who you drafted, who you developed, who is committing to, yeah, I'm going to be part of this moving forward. I like the player. I like the contract thumbs up both sides yeah and honestly i think their power play is pretty sick next year with like i mean either michelli or or gunther and then you've got like keller sean dursey's gonna hop in there and qb that power play like lawson kraus in front of the net 
it's uh it's it's looking pretty fun do we know what logan cooley's doing next year yet is he back not to playing is he he's back to the ncaa back to the ncaa he's not getting in that mess there's no way he can already play in ncaa rinks if he wants to yeah no kidding um uh, Dennis Guryanov has signed with the Nashville Predators, eight hundred and fifty thousand. James, this is a guy for me that I thought we were going to see score multiple thirty goal seasons by now. It was that twenty twenty bubble playoffs where he was sick. Um, after a twenty goal and sixty four game season, and he just it just hasn't happened for him since. He had a really tough start to last year, two goals in forty three games with Nashville. A little bit better after the trade to Montreal, five goals and eight points in 23 games and what was a bottom six role. Um, but this is a guy that can play on your power play as a wicked one-timer and has some potentials. For the Nashville Predators, as much as I've kind of raised an eyebrow at a lot of their off-season moves, I think this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it was wicked smart. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think it was a really solid move. Um, Nashville, according to Ryan O'Reilly's most recent comments, um, the the players at least have no intentions of taking a step back. Um, they already didn't make playoffs, but um, last year, so I don't know. Like these guys want to fight, and if Gurionov wants to make a push, he's gonna have some competition. Uh, considering what Tommy Novak and Luke Evangelista and um phil tomasino what these guys did at the end of the season for nashville production wise and elevating to a bigger role um he's gonna have some competition in that top six uh nobody's just gonna let him in i mean they have they have philip forsberg they have ryan o'reilly now like they 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 don't have a lot of room up there for someone who's just going to be a passenger so if he wants to succeed there he's gonna have to push it's it's gonna have to be a maximum effort there but I, I wish the best for him because, like you said, it, it it seemed like he had arrived in that playoffs. I remember the price of his rookie card spiked. I remember he was a threat, seeming dangerous and every time he was on the ice. And Colorado played against Dallas and lost against them. So I remember that firsthand. It sucked. Um, yeah, he was a very, very dangerous player. And it's one of those things where it just didn't work out. And, uh, yeah, I mean... You wonder if, I don't know, um, you wonder if he's just one of those guys who just had a good playoff run. Because those guys do exist. Um, you can go talk to Oilers fans in the mid-2000s about Fernando Pisani. He scored. And the announcers said that he scored. And I will have Fernando Pisani scores. I will have that ingrained in my brain my entire life why my brain deems that extremely useful information i don't know but it does and it'll, it will also remember Gurianov being dangerous so he scored the goal that overtime goal that sent dallas to the stanley cup final that year past robin edmonton Leonard. oh Gurianov. yeah Gurianov. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're not talking about pisani anymore never mind <laughs> i will leave my my ramblings we uh we talked about the new hook trade on the last episode he re-ups with Montreal. So four years, 2.9. I think that's great for the Montreal Canadiens. Like for, for me, if you're new hook, there's a chance at the end of this contract, this is a slam dunk steal. I, I'm really high on this guy. Watching him play this first year at Boston College, James, this guy was sick. He showed a lot of offensive potential. Two years in Colorado, two seasons averaging 13, 14 goals. 32 points, 31 points on average between the two full 82 game season last year, 30 points. I don't know if it was going to happen in Colorado. He was always, I don't think it was. Yeah. So the trade made sense, but for the Montreal Canadians, you have this center depth down the middle, all of a sudden of, of, you know, you've got Kirby doc, you've got Nick Suzuki, you've just re-signed Sean Monaghan. Now you got Alex Newhook. It's looking good for the Habs. And we're going to so do with a new hook three C is that his role forever? I think he's going to be the second line center by the end of the season. I think mm-hmm. Kirby doc flips plays the, the wing. wing with Suzuki and Caulfield. Yeah. And you've got like Slavkovsky with new hook on the second line. Um, I'm sorry. What is Slavkovsky? No one even he, talks about him anymore. I, I think he's going to play next year. If that's I hope so. 
Yuri Slykovsky. Yeah, I mean, he's a good player. Like he, you know, he slow start, but it was a slow start adjusting to the North American game. I no, this guy to me, in his, I think his ceiling is 30, 30 goal guy consistently, top six forward. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not ready to write this guy off. <laughs> like so are we just gonna say like ten years down the line that that draft sucked? Twenty twenty two. Well, we'll see because I love David Urichek. I've yeah. talked about him on this podcast. Logan Cooley looks like a good player. Shane Wright to me still sky's the limit. He could be a bottom six center. He could be a first line center. I I I don't know yet. I definitely think this season it's it's too early and it'd be too harsh to write him off after this year. Simo Nemec, I think, is going to be a very effective top four defenseman, if not a number one or number two on that top pair of New Jersey with Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes and Simo Nemec is a disgusting top pair for New Jersey to have. Yeah, and Dougie him. Hamilton still exists. Yeah, no kidding. And and you go down that draft, there's still guys that I'm looking at and I'm thinking you're, you're still going to be a player. Kevin, I know you're a big Kevin Korchinski fan. Yeah. Um, Marco Casper, to me, is still going to be a very effective I think he's going to be a second line center in Detroit. I don't think he's ever going to be. Oh, I traded center. for Kevin Korchinski in my most recent franchise mode uh, on his pending UFA year. So like eight years in. And uh, and then he refused to sign a contract with me and absolutely shriveled me and then uh, went and got paid in free agency. Yeah. I just bought NHL 23. You should be proud of me. Nice. Finally. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you enjoy your franchise modes. You get deep in there. Oh, I finally won the cup. <laughs> I finally did with my Philly team uh, with Macklin Celebrini as my top line center, Zach Benson, second line wing, um, Nico Heischer uh, solidifying my center depth and um, uh, a defense consisting of Luke Hughes. And um, I had a, a, I had a veteran Jacob Shikrin on my deep core. Uh, Carter Hart finally had the season, the one that we wanted, the playoff run that I wanted. Um, but uh, it, what it all boiled down to was uh, a perennially underperforming Cutter Gauthier is traded to Colorado for a 30-whatever, like 36-year-old Nathan McKinnon. And that that was the glue that brought it all together. That was that was the the wonderful little masterpiece that made everything work. So when you're playing franchise mode, are you is it pure sim? You don't play anything? I play probably like between two and five games a year. Okay. Yeah. What I'll because it's do... a test of my abilities as a general manager, not my abilities playing a computer. Yeah, I will usually go just because this is the way I enjoy it. I don't enjoy playing regular season games. So I'll sim the whole regular season. If I miss the playoffs, so be it. See, I I detest this. And I just rip the playoffs. I like playing the playoffs. Okay, so what they did in NHL 23 is they made it so once you win the cup, when when the cup gets hoisted, it gives you a list of players that you can pass it to next. And you can choose the next name three times. That's crazy. And then after that, there's this little cup animation and it shows all of your players' names ingrained on the cup. That's really cool. I'm excited for that. Yeah, it it took me uh, all of like ten months to to get there, but it, it was worth it when I got there. Okay, so speaking of the Philadelphia Flyers, um, this is a guy that I was talking to my dad, and he had never heard of this guy. And I guess if you know, for Philly, like they didn't have a good year, not a lot of eyes on them, but. One of their bright spots was 24-year-old forward Noah Cates. 13 goals and 38 points in 82 games doesn't jump off at you. This guy was one of the best two-way forwards in the league this year. It's not that's not an understatement at all. He was superb defensively. He gets paid 2.6 million bucks for two years. Still an RFA uh, upon expiry. And and you know this guy was this guy's a slam dunk. He got some selkie votes, man. This is a this is a good signing for Philly. Yeah, I have nothing to say on it that you didn't say other than that um, I would have liked to see maybe another year on it. I think as this rebuild is uh, is moving along, as the rebuild train choo-choos away, um, I think you want guys with like three and four year term so they can be around at the end of it. And they're not. With you. Yeah. I believe that would have been a UFA year. So, uh, hard to buy UFA years. It's yeah, fair. It, 
it would have been a UFA upon expiry instead of an RFA. And Philly wants to keep control of the player. Um, speaking of RFAs, Vancouver re-signs one of theirs. And likewise, he is still an RFA upon expiry. 22-year-old Nils Holglander. 1.1 for two more years. Question now, James. Will Rick Tockett bring out the Nils Hoaglander in his rookie year, which looked like a somebody who was on a fast track to being a very effective top six forward. He scored 13 goals and 27 points in 56 games. Declined the second year and fell off this third year. Ended up in the Abbotsford system, the AHL. 45 games, 14 goals, 32 points in the A after only three goals and nine points in 25 NHL games. Um, I still have the 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 <laughs> in my head the Nils Hoglander of his rookie year where this guy was showing off his skill, but he was a bulldog on the forecheck, great at puck retrievals, good at setting guys up, and and looked like he was going to be stapled to Pedersen's wing eventually, but just didn't happen this year for Vancouver. So, how do you uh how do you how do you see Nils Hoglander here? Is this a guy that you think is going to resurge under Rick Tockett, or is this a guy that maybe his time in Vancouver is come uh, maybe starting to come to a close? I'd rather see him get a fresh start. I, I know he hasn't had a lot of time in in BC here, but um, you know, this this couple years hasn't inspired a lot of confidence for me. Yes, the Canucks era that Hoaglander's been a part of this organization for has been a little bit tumultuous to say the least. Um, but I I don't have a lot of hope for him in Vancouver. I'd like to see him go somewhere else. I, I, I mean, uh, I could, I could open the can of worms and say, I don't have a lot of hope for pod Colson either. A guy I was extremely high on in Vancouver. Um, I've been to a fair amount of Canucks games in the past two seasons. And when I've seen these two, I haven't been, I haven't seen much inspiration there. Yeah, no, I got it. Like, and, but I see and- it in Beauvillier. I like that winger there. Beauvillier is cool. Beauvillier is a good player and Beauvillier is the kind of guy to me like I actually don't think you could put him in a situation where he's not going to succeed because his motor never stops right when you have a guy that just will never quit it's hard for him to 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 fall on his face ever like he he's he's a good player and and yeah the, and that's another point to make about both of them you brought up Anthony Beauvillier that Vancouver Canucks winger depth and don't forget Jonathan LeCurry Mackey's coming too like it's it's kind of a log jam. You've got Garland, you've got Bester, you've got Beauvillier. It's there Kuzmenko. There's a lot of guys there that are taking up maybe not a lot of spots. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, last signing, Anze Kopitar. He had this year under contract at ten million bucks. Two more at seven after that for the thirty-five year old who had a good season this year. This was his best st- season in terms of pure point production since 2017, 18, 74 points in 82 games. And all of a sudden now, James, you've got Kopitar, you've got Philippe Deneau, and you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois. How good does LA look down the middle? Very. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think this answers the question that um, in no time as a member of the LA Kings, will Quinton Byfield be a center? He's a winger now. Um, I, I'm sorry. Uh, he, he either gets to be a winger or he's going to go somewhere else. That's that's how that's going to work. I maybe I think it's I think it's fresh start time for Byfield too. I I I like that idea a lot, but uh, King's management has been pretty bullish on moving him at all. So this is a guy coming out of junior man that looked like he was the second coming of Evgeny Malkin. Like it it. And it just hasn't worked. It hasn't happened. Like it, it, it hasn't been. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's pump the brakes here. Let's pump the brakes here. Second coming of Evgeny Malkin. When he was playing in the OHL, the way he dominated those guys, the way he, the way he used his body to just absolutely, you know, it was the it was the angry Gino like personification where he would get the puck for Sudbury and something was happening. You couldn't stop him with a train. And it's, it's, and you forget about that, right? Like I've had conversations with a lot of people recently about that 2020 draft and people calling it like a bad draft. And I'm like, you have no idea the, the regard that Alexi Lafreniere and Quinton Byfield were held in that year. Those guys were supposed to be studs in the league down the line. And really, if you look at that 2020 draft, if you look at that top 10, Tim Stutzla has hit his potential. 
Lucas Raymond looked like he did <laughs> during his rookie year, and then he kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, Jake Sanderson looks like a very serviceable player. Drysdale has fought injuries. Alexander Holtz hasn't really hit. Still waiting on Jack Quinn. Marco Rossi really, really looks like he's going to be the prime example of a player who uh, COVID just took a bite out of his development. We're not going. We don't know if if he's going to get back on track. And Cole Perfetti had a great rookie year, but we still don't know about him yet. So it's 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 too early to tell with some of these guys. But Byfield and Lafreniere that year both looked like menaces. They both looked like they were going to torch the league. Calder finalists out of their out of their draft year, but it hasn't worked out yet. Yeah, and I think uh, with a lot of these guys, they they lost time to COVID. It's the same as the the, the twenty one draft is going to see a lot of these guys too. It's um, it's you wonder how much of this generation of of rookies coming into the league is going to be hit. And I think when we go ten years down the line, we're really going to be able to look at a chunk of guys who what could have been. You know, I I hope it's not that way. I really do. I want all these guys to have successful careers and get paid. But the fact of the matter is, even in normal years, there's going to be guys like that. So I think uh, we're, we're we're definitely seeing the effects of it. It's just, it's it's tough. Like, crucial de- developmental years not getting the competition and ice time that you need. I want to see them all work out. I do. So let's let's, fingers crossed, hope for the best. So speaking of drafts, I just wanted to speed run through some of my personal best and worst picks of this first round. First of all, I just wanted to uh, completely, completely brag. <laughs> all year, I had Noah Danielson higher than anybody else did. All year, I was arguing with people about where this guy should go. All year, I was this guy's biggest fan, and and I was told by... Nate Danielson, you said Noah. Noah's his brother, and yeah. I he plays in my league, so that's why I, I keep... I. I called Noah Nate during games that I'm calling of him. So I'm getting these guys mixed up uh, consistently, but no, Nate Danielson to me, he's been all year from the first time I saw him, I had him as at the very least top 15 pick. And I kept pushing him into my top 10 and I kept getting told that this guy was a late first rounder, that this guy's ceiling wasn't high enough. And then Steve Eisenman goes and, and, reaffirms everything i've been saying about him all year by picking him ninth overall um i love the pick it's not as one of my best picks because it's it's the way i'm doing this is kind of the the steals or the value at these spots and i'll just run through uh james if you want to if you want to word on any of these just stop me adam fantilli three to columbus this is a guy that all year was number two and i I don't think Anaheim made the right choice with Leo Carlson at second overall because to me you he might have a higher floor but Fantilli's ceiling is so much higher to me when I look at this guy and I think what are you going to be I I look at Fantilli and I see a first line center a guy that could very very much be at the top of NHL scoring charts uh, obviously the next one and this was a complicated pick but Philadelphia taking Matt Vemichkov 7th overall this is a guy that his ceiling is as high as anybody's in this draft. And, you know, um, there was some reports that he intentionally interviewed well with some teams and not others. Um, so maybe it's hard to criticize, for instance, Montreal and Arizona for not taking him at five, six. Um, but Philly gets their guy, Zach Benson at 13. Oh, to Buffalo. Hold on. My, my honest belief is that he straight up told Arizona it's not happening. I, 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 I believe you. <laughs> He, he he probably went into that interview and he said you're wasting your time it's not happening yeah i'm not i'm not playing for you yeah and that's possible especially with what we heard about the kid zach benson at 13 to the buffalo sabers listen to me buffalo maybe <laughs> maybe they didn't need another you know dynamic winger but as soon as benson didn't go like top 8 i think he should have been everybody's pick like this is a guy he is one of the smartest players in this draft. He's one of the best two-way forwards in this draft. He is one of the best passers. He's one of the most skilled. Like, he should not have dropped this far. And Buffalo made the right choice. They didn't do what some other teams very stupidly did and just pick for position or pick for size or pick for whatever. <laughs> and they just picked the best player. And I respect that. And it'll work out for them, hopefully. 
the the one the knock on him is he doesn't have that extra step right it's like it's not he doesn't have that explosive first step it's it, yes yeah okay but that's um, it that's it right isn't that all that is the only knock on him is is that and, and again he's he's not big <laughs> he's he's five nine generously so oh, really i thought yeah. i thought he was a little taller than that huh. no um but i watch this guy play and i see Braden point i think we talked about it when i went to watch him for winnipeg when he was in red deer uh next up is a guy that i really wanted the canucks to take at 11 from the start of the draft i had him at 11 to vancouver in our mock draft oliver moore you talk about maybe the knock on benson being the first step oliver moore is one of the best skaters to come out of a prospect draft pool ever like this guy is this guy is electrifying and for the chicago blackhawks james to get connor bedard at one and oliver moore at 19 bedard is right away moore isn't but starting in two years when moore shows up you have your first and second line centers if you can keep them there if you can keep them under contract you have and I'm not saying that Oliver Moore is going to be Evgeny Malkin, and I'm not saying that Connor Bedard is going to be Sidney Crosby, but in the same way that Pittsburgh have had Crosby Malkin 1-2 since the beginning of time, <laughs> um, Chicago will have Bedard and Moore 1-2 moving forward for as long as we can see down the line. Like, this is amazing for them. Um, and, you know, <laughs> couldn't think of a better organization. <laughs> Next up. For me, best picks, Columbus, who already was on this board with Adam Fantilli, gets Gavin Brindley at 34th overall. I had him definitely in our top 20. I don't remember for sure. Um, but this is a guy who 38 points in 41 games at the University of Michigan. It is not easy to play in the NCAA as a draft-eligible player. And he was really, really good. And I was in shock and awe to not see his name up on the board after that first day. Um, down the list a little bit, Andrew Kristol, 40 to Washington. Another guy, this is a huge boomer bust pick, but I'm looking at the picks around him and I'm thinking, this guy shouldn't have dropped this far. Like Andrew Kristol, potentially, other than Connor Bedard, has the best hands in this draft. He is a very, very good offensive player. He's very raw. So the Washington Capitals are going to have to make him into a more all-around player. Not to say that he needs to be a, a selkie candidate, but he needs to be better. Next on my list, Grayson Sachin and Riley Height and William Whitelaw all go 63, 64, 66. So three players in the span of four picks. All of these guys could have been first rounders. Um, I had Whitelaw around where Kristall went, but Columbus, again, gets William Whitelaw at 66. That's a steal. Riley Height to the Minnesota Wild at 64. Minnesota went with a couple safe bets here. And I, I I do think that Charlie Strammel, who they took 21st overall, to me, that was too high for him. But if you look at Strammel and Height, Minnesota center, like that, that that's probably at least their 2-3 down the line. Uh, Grayson Sachin, another center out of the Seattle Thunderbirds, goes to the Florida Panthers. Another guy where... It's it's going to be interesting to see how how this kid can develop with Florida. He reminds me a little bit of Antoine Lundell. He does. So the Panthers like Lundell. They like Sach and they take him in the second round. Uh, my last steal, Jaden Perron, ninety four to Carolina. Like, <laughs> I, I it's kind of inexplicable that this guy dropped this far. Seventy two points in sixty one games with the Chicago Steel this year. He. I think next year when he goes to college, he's going to show everybody how stupid it was that 93 guys would have him. Like he's going to show some people that he should have been at worst, like uh, an early second rounder. That's all I have for the best. There's three players I have on this list that have picks that I didn't like. I'm not going to say Dmitry Simashev. I like Dmitry Simashev a lot at six. Did they reach for him? Yes. You know what it, this reminds me of? Reminds me of Mo Sider. Mo Sider was a 15, 16, 17, 18 guy on most people's boards going into the 2019 draft. Iserman reached, took him at six, and look at look at him now, <laughs> right? Um, Dmitry Simashev to me is a guy that, yeah, was six a reach. Absolutely it was. But 
if you believe in this guy, it, it, it's not a bad pick at all. Um, I also am not going to criticize a pick like Danielson. Obviously, I've said a lot, like Nate Danielson a lot. Um, that's kind of a safe bet pick. But Arizona for me, fine. You like Simashev, take him at six. Daniel Boot at 12 made no sense. <laughs> I did not get this at all. This is a guy, he's six foot five. Can skate okay. <laughs> can handle the puck fine for a guy that big. 15 goals, 26 points in 26 games in the MHL. So he's in the Russian Junior League. He played 15 KHL games, only had two points. And uh, to me, it's not so much the player you took at 12. It's the player you left on the board. If you're going to take a winger, take Benson. There's no way you should have passed up Benson for boot. I have a similar kind of feeling towards uh, Charlie Strammel at 21. I like the player. He's not a bad player. But if you look at his production at the University of Wisconsin, only five goals and 12 points in 33 games. And you know what? He brings a lot of other stuff to the table. He's a great two-way forward. He's a good penalty killer. But at 21 overall in this very good draft, there's guys with higher ceilings. Like we talked about Gavin Brindley. <laughs> Gavin Brindley to me would have been a better pick at 21. He has way more offensive upside. He can play center as well. And I just, I didn't love it. I like Otto Stenberg a lot too, who fell to 25. So maybe if you're going to take a center, you you, you should have gone with Stenberg. Um, and lastly, in the first round, Easton Cowan, 53 points in 68 games with the London Knights, 28th overall to the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's another guy to me that if you look at the draft, you look at the players around them, so much more upside to me on so many of these other players. You could have taken Crystal. You could have had Ethan Goche, who went 37th overall. Brinley obviously went 34. I, I I didn't love the Easton Cowan pick. It's another one too to me where if you're gonna reach that far for a first rounder, trade down. That's my draft spiel. We got some questions to do. You ready? Indeed, I am. Let's hear it. You wanna you wanna kick us off? Sure. We just ripped through uh, two of the seven we had. So we have five more. We'll start with the Spotify one, the last Spotify one that we haven't done. Uh, it's just a pitch for us. <laughs> it's a mock trade pitch. The Edmonton Oilers received John Gibson. The Anaheim Ducks, in return, received Jack Campbell, Dylan Holloway, and a 2024 first-round pick. Um, I'm going to go in no way does that happen in no way do the Anaheim Ducks accept that trade it, never to me do Anna does Anaheim accept that trade because the way I see it is it's Holloway and a first for Gibson that's I actually don't hate that as a deal that's you know Dylan Holloway could very much be a top six forward he's got the potential to be and a 2024 first rounder like I said the Edmonton Oilers good chance that pick is in the late first round but you never know and for the Anaheim Ducks, you have a John Gibson who just, uh, he needs to change the scenery. Okay. But to me, it's the, there is no way you're dumping Jack Campbell's contract for nothing. You can't just sneak that in there. <laughs> to me, you need another first rounder just to get them to take Campbell. So that's, that, that's for me why that's a hard no. I actually wouldn't hate Holloway in a first for Gibson but you need to pay somebody to take Campbell. It's not just going to happen like that. That extra assets required. I like that. And I also just want to say, if you want to keep, if you guys want to keep throwing mock trades in there, that's fun. I like that. You throw those in there whenever you want. Okay. So we got some, we got four Instagram questions. First off, which former franchise would you bring back? You know, my answer is the Quebec Nordiques. What's yours? I'm going to go off the board and I'm going to go Kansas city scouts. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes uh, had that one tweet saying Kansas City Coyotes sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. And so I, I'm i going to go with that one because um, Mr. Billionaire is, uh, he would totally be a like minority owner in the team. It, there's no doubt about it. And he would be pumping them on social media, uh, pumping them at, at NFL games. Like there would be one of those NHL NFL partnerships we've always wanted, but I haven't really seen. So. I, I I'm game for that. I like that. Unpopular NHL rule change. So it's just what's a rule you would change that like unpopular opinion. So I'm not gonna say soft cap for mine because I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I think a lot of people 
would uh, would get behind that. Um, I have mine. Do you have yours? <laughs> yeah, coach's challenge slows down the game too much. Okay, I can see that. Like, I, mean, I, I don't want seven minutes of practically dead air where the where the broadcast team is just looking around for dramatic faces in the crowd or on the bench to to decide what they think. Okay. Again, it, it is it is unpopular opinion, so we're, I'm not supposed to agree with you. I yeah. don't, but I empathize with where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, I think there should be a safe zone. So if you picture a net in the defensive zone, the bottom of the hash marks, the bottom of the face-off circles. I already hate this so much. That's the goalie's safe zone. The goalie can come out and play the puck wherever he wants, but if he's outside of that safe zone, he's a player. He can get hit. That's one I've always thought. I hate seeing goalies come out to wherever the hell to play the puck, and at the slightest contact, it's a five-minute major in a game misconduct. To me... If you not just the crease though, it's got to be more than the crease. If you are in one of the face-off circles, like the big ones in the defensive zone, and you're playing the puck, to me, you are eligible to be checked the same way a defenseman in that zone is eligible to be checked. So I would get rid of like the they can't play the pucks in the corners because I don't like that rule either. I don't like the fact that a goalie can come out behind his net and if he mishandles the puck a little bit and accidentally pokes it in the no-go zone, it's a penalty. So I would get rid of that, but I would say keep the lines there, and then that's the goalie's safe zone. If they go into the corner, they can play the puck all they want, but they're eligible to be checked. The only comment I'm going to say is my grandpa, who played hockey long ago, he says if the goalie goes to play the puck, their fair game, run him over. That was my favorite. That's <laughs> not my opinion, but that's my grandpa's opinion. Yeah, no, and I, I think there's there needs to be a a reasonable expectation of safety of a goalie is going to come behind the net to play the puck. It's a common enough thing. If they're going to just kind of make the pass out of their crease. Like I said, I so think the, where's the compromise. If what if they made the trapezoid a safe zone? That that's what I'm saying. The trapezoid and then just in front of the crease are the safe zones, but then nah, 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 don't give them in front of the crease, stay in your crease, stay in your lane. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm not supposed to agree. All right. Let's yeah. Yeah, let's move on from that one. I, I see your point. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, David Reinbacher or Yuraj Slykovsky, who will have the better career? I was reading this one. I have thoughts on it. Go. So much more runway for Reinbacher looking at Montreal's prospect system. They got a lot of guys up front. A lot of guys are going to do very good. And there's going to be competition for ice time, power play time, PK time. Uh, not everybody gets to be the hero. But on the back end, that's why they took Reinbacher. They have their defensemen now. Their, their guy, hopefully, probably, maybe. um Yeah, uh there's so much more runway. Uh, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I was going to say Reinbacher, too. To me, it's a higher ceiling. To me, even if this guy isn't a dominant number one, he's going to be on Montreal's top pair because him and Lane Hudson are going to tear it up together. So for me, David Reinbacher, David Reinbacher has a higher floor, so that's what I'm going to settle with. Juraj Slykovsky, I think, has a higher ceiling, but... Reinbacher is a safer bet. Uh, last question. You must change the puck to any object. What would you change it to? And in parentheses, they submitted that they want us to be fun with it. Um, I don't know. I think, <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I kind of, I would say tennis ball because I just think it'd be really funny to see, like, these players on ice try and control this thing that is bouncing at you like crazy and, and just the 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 passes, like the saucer passes that will just bounce till the end of time. Like I just think that visual would be kind of funny on the ice. What do you think? I'm just gonna go really stupid with this one because the first thing that popped in my mind was one of the most unintelligent things I've ever thought. You, you know, badminton, obviously. Give me an ice birdie. I wanna see a, a frozen shuttlecock. I want to see, I, I want to see, Um. so basically it's vulcanized rubber at the front and then there's the net behind it to make it flying aerodynamic. They wanted us to have fun with it. They wanted us to have fun with it. Yeah. Give me the vulcanized ice birdie. All right. We're going to wrap it up here really quick. I'm oh, going to just- Hold on. I have one last thing. Okay. From here on out, you and I both love movies. 
I want each of us to come to the table with a movie we watched in the last week at the end of every episode. You didn't prepare for this. You might not have one. I watched the movie Lawless starring Shia LaBeouf, Tom Hardy, Jason Clark, Jessica Chastain. Really enjoyed watching it. It's about Prohibition era uh, moonshine running uh, and like a group of brothers that just don't back down. And uh, yeah, it was damn fun to watch. Um, I will probably give a more lengthy review next time, but I want each of us to come to the table with a movie per week, at least over the course of the summer. Okay, I did watch one, so I'll give it to you. I watched Manchester by the Sea. Oh, I've heard great things. It's very good. It's very, very good. Uh, It's very sad. Um, Yeah, I've also heard it's the movie that makes Casey Affleck the better Affleck brother in terms of actors. Yes, he was very good in it. Uh, It follows Casey Affleck's character, who is an uncle who has to becomes the legal guardian of his nephew after his brother and the boy's dad passes away. Um, And it follows the two of them. It's very good. It's worth a watch. Um, Okay. That's a wrap. Let's let's wrap it there. Well, without further ado, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Let's roll that outro. Thanks, guys.